Well, Timory, um, let's talk about it a little bit again about you had a, a phrase that I liked that we take sex out of marriage and babies out of sex. Yeah. How do you say that? If and, you take babies out of sex and sex out of marriage, mm -hmm. then who suffers? It's the child ultimately is always possibly considered unwanted to the point mm -hmm. of abortion now is the fail safe for contraception i mean just look it was a couple years later griswold versus connecticut decriminalized contraception then we suddenly have no fault divorce follow and what then year was the griswold griswold versus connecticut was Oh, In the 1967-8, oh. mid to late 1960s. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, I'm not fabulous with dates, and we mm -hmm. had right after that, though, was a no-fault divorce started in California under right. Ronald Reagan. Right. And so that's right around, I mean, everything's right around Humana Vitae, 1968, 1969. Boom, 1973, we now have the fail-safe for contraception and for extramarital affairs, everything with abortion being the right. law of the land in a nation that had already passed across the board super pro-life laws, which came from the first wave feminists. Right, right. And and even some of the older feminists, I, I heard the other day Susan B. Anthony was against marriage ultimately. Was she, Susan B. Anthony? That's what yeah. I, I just heard too. And it but it just strikes me more and more about you know, that sex, you know, is such a powerful thing and it you know, unite the couple, it's procreative. It has to be in the context of marriage. Otherwise it can be destructive, you know. Right. And uh, right. and especially like women, we we're we we're talking about this that the sexual revolution seemed like it's hurt women so much that um, you know, they're more likely to get diseases, I think. Right. Sexually transmitted diseases. Yeah. And that's a huge one, Father, and this is a really big deal because we just saw either May or June of this year. There was a study that came out, um, multiple showing that the demographic decline in the United States, we've gone from a replacement level that needs to be at 2.1. For multiple years, we've been below that, we're at 1.7. So basically, on average, two people are only having 1.7 mm -hmm. children. This is a big deal because we're not gonna replace ourselves, especially as the boomers die off. You're seeing right. this in, for example, Japan. There's a whole industry in Japan of essentially, there's so few young people and so many old people the old people are dying alone in their homes with no one to know for weeks and sometimes months yeah, that they're yeah. dead. And so there's a whole business for cleaning up apartments and homes wow. that there's someone that's deceased there and it's yeah. become toxic yeah. because no one knew. And so the scary thing for women is that Times Magazine released a piece, it was online as well, talking about how, don't worry, women are still having children. They're just having them later in life. But right. I'm sorry, women's biological clock at a certain point is no longer functioning in the same way. And so yeah. not only will it be years of contraceptive use, but it's also going to be pushing for in vitro fertilization, which is harmful, A, for women, and B, destructive to human life in the right. process. But these women, through contraception and through abortion, are suffering with these sexually transmitted diseases, or even the scarring in the fallopian tube rendering some women infertile after right. use of years of contraceptive use. Yeah. I feel like, you know, my generation, I graduated from high school in the late 80s, and it's like, I think that was a message that, you know, I don't know if the girls were told this, but it, maybe I was a little bit later, but just like, 
wait to get married, you know, get mm. the career going, and all this stuff. Was it just women told this, or was it the men as well? Um, you know, I, like I said, I didn't explicitly hear the message, but um, that's the feeling I just get, like in my generation, mm -hmm. I think that, um, I guess the, the thing that troubles me is like career is exalted so high, and it's like the end all and be all. Mm -hmm. And then like the women who, oftentimes they're more hardwired to long for babies and children and family. Um, you know, they, they kind of find that the career is not that fulfilling. Right. The cubicle isn't that great. You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I say. It's like, what? I mean, yeah, some people, yeah, they're just ecstatic about work, but most people I know, they're kind of, <laughs> I mean, it's not, the, it's not the biggest thing in their life. And I think even women that are, have the big career, it's like, they don't want to work as much as men, I read statistically, because they want a more balanced life. They want right. relationships and stuff. And that the family is the place where you find the deepest, most intense relationships. There's know? a lot of animosity between the working woman, the working mom, uh -huh. and the mom who is home working in the home caring for her family. And I yeah. think it's because the world tells us as women that our value is on how much we can produce, but not in terms of love and children and virtue, yeah. Yeah. but instead, how much can we produce in the workforce? There's a reason that just about two months ago, there was this news article talking about how um, there's a problem because GDP is not as high as it could be. We need to get more women working, therefore we need more resources for childcare if that's if women want to have children, at least yeah. that's the option. And I mean, think about all the CEOs recently that got upset about the pro-life laws. They outright said, mm -hmm. quote, this is bad for business. I think yeah. nearly 200 CEOs came out complaining about the pro-life really? laws because they have created or we have created this idea that woman's just a cog in the machine and that yeah. her greatest potential is her greatest output in terms of work. And that's where this whole identity crisis has become such a big problem for men and women. Because yeah. now you have men who probably wanted to get married or were never even challenged to the idea of marriage because there are no suitable women or mm -hmm. willing women to marry. Yeah. I, I remember interviewing um, uh, some young people that were, I mean, they were young adults and they were part of a, um, like a prayer group, a big one in the DC area, which has, you know, the biggest concentration of like young adults is DC. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, it's like uh, 20s and 30s. It's the highest concentration, something the government work or something. But I remember the, the woman was complaining. She's like mid late 20s. And she said, the guys, they're afraid to get married. They have jobs, but they don't feel far enough along mm -hmm. to be able to support right. you know, the family. And it's like they're putting off marriage now, right. too. And it's. And I, I, that scares me too. And you could speak to this, like California. It's like, I mean, I noticed that with some of the, like the families around here that have a large family, it's like, they got to be high functioning, um, you know, to have these kids. Yeah. Right. No, it's I like, that's scary. Yeah. I, I can tell you, you know, I was recently married and my husband and I are already living in California. Looking at, this is actually a really difficult place to live financially if you want to move toward a single income when we start having children. Right. And the reality is there's been a mass exodus in terms of small families leaving California because yeah. of that. Yeah. It, depending on where you live, it's not conducive with really a faith-filled home in many ways.
And I can tell you, even in my own story, not that I'm giving it as an example that others should follow, but my husband and I, and you know, it's funny because actually some teenagers will tell their parents, well, Timory dated her husband for six years before they got married. The poor guy doesn't hear the end of it. But part of that delay was because of the challenges posed by student loans, being on your own two feet financially as you need to, and a culture, quite frankly, that belittles the development of masculinity to take on greater responsibility. Yeah, that is, um, I wanted to say something about China too. Oh, yes. That's our, China's the best opportunity for evangelization, I think, with super radical feminists. Really? Yeah, because I think most radical feminists can agree that what's happening in China is wrong. Uh If you can start with that, that's the best opportunity to get in deeper into the life issue. Yeah. And, you know, I I like, too, this connection. I just read a great article by Carrie Grass about uh, Mm. women and being fruitful. I think it's Catholic World Report. And it was basically, I think she was writing about this call to fruitfulness and either biological or spiritual maternity and that women like nurture life and they have this gift. And that's, that's the thing that, that frustrates me, you know, just to talk about an economic power of them working. Really, I think the greater economic power, <laughs> nobody wants to hear this, is having children. <laughs> right. It's like China is literally doomed because right. they had the, two ch- the one child policy, now it's two child. Oh, it's a false two child policy. <laughs> <laughs> right, and it's like, but it's still not enough to get them, they're below replacement rate. Yes, here's how bad, Father, yeah. do you know this? They said by 2020, they will have, so we're just a year away and they're already seeing this, over 30 million unmarriable men because they have sex selective abortions that they will not be able to marry. The only places where we have seen such a bachelor boom was World War II Japan mm. and modern day Afghanistan, Pakistan. Wow. And look at the war to- that tears through those areas during yeah. that time. Yeah. And I, I've heard some economists, you know, they say, you know, America has a lot of economic faults and problems but as long as it's growing the economy's growing it covers a multitude of economic sins you know <laughs> but that the truth is, is if you look at what the demographers are saying yeah. the, the demographers will say sure we are overpopulated uh-huh. with older people the boomer right. generation specifically besides that if you look at the other generations we are a much much smaller group of people there's a reason that yeah. physician physician assisted suicide and euthanasia are acceptably passed today because mm. now you have a generation with few children, uncared for, right. and these are the challenges that an anti-life generation has created. Right. Yeah, and the, the economic problem of being below replacement rate is, I think, is that you have the aging population that's going out of the workforce, they're having a lot of healthcare needs and all this, nobody to take care of them, and you, have, you need somebody working to pay taxes. So if you're not having kids, the economy is going to tank, you know, so, and I I heard like China is not going to be able to come out of this, you know, unless they really start having kids quick. (laughs) It'll be interesting to see, you know, I think they began to see this in China because they implemented the two child policy Mm -hmm. and, but still you have to have government permission in order to have a child in China. You have to be married. And if you're allowed to have a second child, it's because both parents came from single child homes. 
if you violate that, women are facing compensation fees up to 10 times their salary, annual wow. salary. And the child is born without, you know, the significance of like a birth certificate. They have no wow. health rights, no rights mm. to an education, no rights to marry even. Right, right. Yeah, I heard Russia was doing something too, actually giving medals or something to women that had kids because they have the same <laughs> right. problem. And uh, it's like exactly opposite of what we're told in the secular world that, you know, we need, we need people. Right. You know, if you want a, your standard of living that you're living, you know, you need people. But let's talk more about like the sexual revolution and how it hurts women. What what do you tell women that? Like a young 20-something-year-old woman listening to this. Yeah, I think that we have to start by reconsidering where where's our identity rooted in. Mm -hmm. And we're living with a generation that has a possibility of being unwanted because of abortion or where the focus was outside of the home. And so I think the first answer is helping women to actually understand this. And it's one thing if it's a big concept, but we need to help them understand this personally. They're a child of God by their baptism. If they're not Catholic, they're still created and loved by God. And with that, ultimately, comes something that many people have never experienced. That experience is unconditional love. If they can understand that they're a child of God who is unconditionally loved, suddenly all of those parent wounds, all of those familial elements of heartbreak, even the relational heartbreak, begin to dissipate and recognizing it's not me. I don't have to be rejected. I don't have to see myself as problematic in who I am. Who I am is a child of God who is unconditionally loved. And no matter what I do, yeah. that love is still present. And then with that second is we have to begin to understand that there are differences between men and women. We are born either male or female. And there are sex differences literally written into every single cell of our body. Mm -hmm. And so with that unconditional love, we now understand, okay, God created me as either male or female. In this sense, we're talking about women. How can I appreciate my femininity? Well, just start by appreciating I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. Let's start with that point. But I think something that helps, Father Mark, is to address the issue of beauty here. Because if we look at, well, Predominantly, everyone would agree that women are more beautiful than men, mm -hmm. right? The body is even formed in more of a circular way with women, a softening mm -hmm. of the features mm -hmm. of the woman, the softening of her voice even. Mm -hmm. Well, that exterior beauty ultimately points to an interior reality that it's beauty interiorly that is what really personifies and really shows the beauty of who a woman is. Yet we've got a lot of women who are walking around outright ugly on the inside and therefore marriages aren't occurring mm -hmm. children are not being allowed to be born mm -hmm. i know china 500 women a day commit suicide because of lost motherhood and this violation in their lives mm -hmm. and so if we can come back to beauty not externally but internally that mm -hmm. identity crisis that women even face in feeling rejected and less than begins to dissipate right and we have the feast day of St. Mary Magdalene coming up, and the reading is her weeping outside the tomb. You know, they've taken my Lord, I don't know where they mm -hmm. placed him. And I remember it just strikes me, you know, just what a comfort, you know, the, you know just what a comfort women, and I think of like women religious contemplatives, you know, they, they, they consider like the spouse of Christ, they image the, the, the church as 
bride and and how consoling it is to our Lord, the heart of a woman, to feel mm-hmm. compassion for him. Mm-hmm. You know, we really don't hear like Peter weeping outside the tomb as much, whatever. And there's just something powerful about the sensitivity of a woman's heart. You know, that's a real gift, I think. I think of a quote, uh, I'm going to paraphrase, of St. Edith Stein, where she talks about how the woman's soul is ultimately a soul in which other souls are meant to be able to unfold. Mm-hmm. That um, the life of others through the nurturing of women, yeah. their faith should increase. Their virtue should increase. This is written into our bodies. We can physically bear children. Right. We can physically nourish them. Yeah. Well, we can through our body and our spirituality, our soul is meant to really fortify other souls to take forth. And this is why beauty is so important. You know, St. John Paul the Great would quote Dostoevsky, right? As the Russian author. And if we look at all forms of culture, often they would compare the quality of the society to the quality of the the women. You could look at French literature, Russian literature, and so forth. And GP2, in a sense, would kind of equate this statement by Dostoevsky that beauty would save the world with women. And it's kind of annoying as women because then you think, oh, what, all the pretty ladies are going to save the world. (laughs) But in reality, beauty in a woman is to live a rightly ordered life. Think about what St. Thomas Aquinas says about what virtue is. It's ultimately acting according to your nature. And so virtue is living those virtues of goodness, of kindness, of generosity. And so many of those different elements, which unfortunately the Christian world has kind of forgotten about virtue, yet that's what makes a woman who she is. Think of Our Lady and Mary Magdalene, like you're saying. Right, right. Yeah, just a tenderness, you know. It's like we get in this super productive, efficient work world, and, uh, you know, you lose some of the more uh, human values you know? right. and <clears throat> i've you know we I work there's a lot of women working here at wtn I've, we've had women producers on life on the rock and stuff <clears throat> and i i gotta say i like i like the energy i think there's something too like the emotional strength of women that um you know it's almost like women too I think they can kind of rouse the man to do something. <laughs> I saw it every Saturday in my home growing up. Like my dad was just trying to, and my mom was saying, you got to get this done. <laughs> it's like it's my day off. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something about like this, as, like the emotions are like motors, you know, that can move us. And there's something about women, their strong emotional responses can really get things moving at different mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that like the women producers we had, they just had a lot of energy (laughs) and then pushed us to do things that was really good. Um, But yeah, I think too, you know, in our culture, it's just like these typically feminine virtues just aren't held up, Mm -hmm. you know, in our media. And as you're bringing up emotion, it's really Mm -hmm. interesting because I think on one side, we've gotten into a culture that everything is very feeling-oriented. Yeah, How do you yeah, feel? And yeah. on the other side, we've rejected emotion at the right. same time. And, you know, I think about actually a lot of men, not even just more faith-based men, get so aggravated because they think everything in the culture is so emotionally oriented with right. women. Right. But I remember telling my husband one day, um, emotion is amoral. Emotion isn't moral or immoral. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. I said emotion can be good 
or it can be bad. And if women were to understand that our ability to feel things are, I mean, think about what it's an emotion. Sorrow is an emotion. And in the right context, sorrow is right. Right. Joy is an emotion. Right context, joy is right. Jealousy is an emotion. I don't think we can really justify that jealousy is an okay emotion, right? I mean, we, we can go through some of these emotional things we feel, but ultimately, emotion is meant to bring about the good and it should move us as you're saying like some of the producers you've had to cover issues you wouldn't have otherwise covered Mm -hmm. to be bold to draw out the good that is within you and that's where the beauty needs to come out in women yeah so like some of the uh you mentioned some are there other emotion other other virtues you mentioned the goodness and um i said tenderness um what do you what do you feel like is lacking out there like the message that women aren't getting that's would be a powerful virtue for them to have right yeah. you know i think humility is so important the humility in conversation which i think ultimately also leads to modesty people reduce modesty to how we dress modesty mm-hmm. is how we stand the words we speak um mm-hmm. what we allow to enter into it through our ears which um, bears the fruit of chastity i think a virtue that is fun if we really think about it hospitality being hospitable to those who are within our realm i mean inviting people into our physical space jesus christ came and the body and blood of him still remains there's a reason the sacraments really take up space and i think hospitality is a way to physically bring people in you know there's a reason that palm sunday um and ash wednesday are very very popular church days sometimes more than christmas and easter right Mm -hmm. and i think that someone told me this this year because it was really bothering me why do so many people go to church on ash wednesday i think yes it is because everyone recognizes there are sinners but it's also a day to get free stuff we (laughs) like physical things and that's why God gave us the sacraments and hospitality allows us to share something physical to enter into the spiritual reality. All right. Now you you recently married, but you lived as a single woman, you know, in the like with Catholic apostolates and stuff. And we talk about spiritual maternity. What what would you tell like a young woman out there how to authentically live that spiritual maternal yeah. call? I think this is a concept that unfortunately not enough women understand that our physical motherhood, as you say, ultimately points to a spiritual motherhood as well. Spiritual motherhood, I remember I had a spiritual director when I was about 19. Of course, not married, didn't have children. Um, and he said, I was asking him like questions about uh, the work that I was doing, apostolates and so forth. It was a period of discernment and he goes, where are your children? And I kind of giggle and go, oh, Father, I have no children. And he goes, no, Timory, where are your children? And I'm like, Father, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I understood the concept already of spiritual motherhood, but not enough. He was asking me, where are you feeding people? Where are you building up the culture? Where are you inviting people in? Where are you ultimately, I think we could reduce the question is, where are you living virtuously? Because virtue produces fruits right and so uh, that question for me has now always been a question i ask myself for example you know if i'm in a certain job if i'm taking on too much work 
some of my mission is not going to bear fruit. And we even see this in the Catholic world where suddenly a great apostolate turns unfruitful because too much is being done or the wrong mission is being taken up. And so that spiritual maternity comes from recognizing that our relationships and the things we engage in should ultimately lead people to a greater good within themselves. You know, if we look at friendship, JB2 Aristotle, to will the good of the other, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas, that's what we're seeking in spiritual motherhood. Right. And I think sometimes, I think it helps like with this conversation about masculine feminine identity too, is like you said, you know, our DNA is either masculine or feminine. So Mm -hmm. we have these gifts and some people have, I guess, varying degrees of each, but you know, you are a woman, you are a man, just, you know, it's going to naturally come to you, like, to, to fulfill that, you know, mm-hmm. and I, what I see, like, in women, too, is just this deep relational strain, you know, they, they have a special capacity, John Paul, you know, said to, to receive the person, to pay attention to the person, mm-hmm. to kind of, like, you know, there's people involved here, right. remind everybody <laughs> that there's a person involved, and I, I just, I just, I marvel at that. The older I get, that um, you know, just the importance of each individual, you know, yeah. and not to lose sight of that. And I think that is such a, a precious thing that. There, so I grew up dancing, and mm-hmm. so um, one of the greatest challenges of being an adult now working is trying to find ways to still enjoy dance. But there is this couple who ended up getting married. They were dance partners for years, and they were some of the world's best dancers. They're recently retired, about my same mm-hmm. age. Uh, they're incredible. Um, Martha and Toby, I'm forgetting their last name right now, uh, but I've had the opportunity to take classes from them. And since they've left their career in Europe, they've been interviewed having come to San Diego and retired and teaching and there was an interview between the husband and wife and it was asking specifically Toby you know what are some of the strengths you see that each you both you and your wife bring out as artistic directors of the studio and of these ballets now and he it was so fascinating to me because it spoke to femininity and masculinity he said I have a strength for recognizing kind of more so technique and really trying to get Mm -hmm. to the precision of the technique and getting into the overall mechanics of how things work. And he says, my wife is fantastic at seeing in the person, developing Mm -hmm. the relationship, really seeing that person Mm -hmm. before them. And I thought, wow, what a powerful testament in the arts, a husband and wife in ballet, speaking to the differences between the feminine and the masculine. He already said, I don't have the best people skills, but my (laughs) wife does, and she draws me into that. Right, yeah. And the other thing, like for me as a priest, the other thing I see about the women's charism too is, I remember it just struck me, I was at a conference, I gave this talk on Mary, and people see me on EWTN, so they were lining up to talk to me after, and they had like some men, it was predominantly women, but literally every one of these women, and I must have talked to like 50 people, they asked me to pray for somebody. Mm. And I remember these two or three guys came up to me and they, they talked about how they were in a hospital or something and they got hooked on EWTN. I hear that a lot. Like usually people have to be trapped in a hospital <laughs> suffering. Then they'll watch EWTN. <laughs> What's hey, there guys. a saint who had the same issue with having to read books uh, yeah, and <laughs> being <yeah>. injured? <laughs> But it struck me that these women all asked me, and I, I see it here at the mass, you know, every day, women putting petitions, you know, asking prayers. And it's like, that, to me, it's like, 
they care, they have this focus on people and they bring their spiritual life into this. They pray for people. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, that's a big a way that women live out that spiritual maternity is to pray for conversion, yeah. for holiness or whatever is needed. You know, yeah. and I agree with that in a time that's so challenging culturally. And maybe we can't convert the hearts and minds of our dearest friends and family members. We can carry them in our spiritual life and recognize at the end of the day, no matter what argument we make, mm -hmm. no matter what, how hospitable we are, how kind we are, ultimately we're just planting seeds. It's God who's going to bring to fruition what he needs to accomplish in another person's life. Yeah. I know I keep derailing you, but like on the sexual revolution, <laughs> I think this is such an important message to get out there. Ways that that hurt women, hurts women. I think we mentioned the disease part of it. Yes, sexually and, transmitted diseases. Yeah. Um, another thing, and I think this is a great talking point that other people might not have heard. Abortion, if a woman has an STD, and I'm sorry to be blunt, Father, but we've got to talk about it. If a woman has an STD and she has an abortion and a pelvic exam isn't done before the abortion, you are literally drawing that STD up into her reproductive tract, mm -hmm. further up her reproductive tract with the instruments, mm -hmm. causing further harm and spreading the sexually transmitted diseases. Yeah. Again, women, infertility down the road, severe disease. I know one woman who had to have her uterus frozen and defrosted multiple times, and she will now never be able to have children as a result of a sexually transmitted disease. Men are carriers. Not as often do they exhibit actual signs of and the actual disease. And so I think that that's one. Lost motherhood is huge. China. We should Go say ahead. quickly the HPV, right? For oh them. gosh, HPV. What's the consequence of that? You know, this is a great question getting into further the issues um, of HPV. Can I tell you a story about mm -hmm. HPV? It's not just the women being impacted. We had a baby come through the crisis pregnancy center when I was working in them. Um, and his mother chose life, praise God. I'll tell you this. The mother didn't even know who the father was. Imagine the pain in suddenly becoming pregnant choosing life, doing the right thing, but facing the reality that I don't even know the father of my child. I don't even know who I could chase after to ask to support me mm -hmm. and the child, to commit to me. Well, the baby's born. She brings the baby into the counselors a couple weeks after. She's so excited, mm -hmm. but she asks the question, is it odd for my child not to make a noise? Mm -hmm. I say, what are you talking about? The baby didn't cry, didn't make a peep. Doctor told her she just had a good baby when she went in for her first exam. In the end, they ended up discovering the child had contracted HPV on its throat mm. and would have tumors that would perpetually grow on the throat from passing through the birth canal of an undiagnosed STD. Again, no pelvic exam that should have taken place. Uh, and it was a miracle. Praise God, so many people praying across the nation. The baby had to learn sign. The tumors were supposed to be removed every few months. At a certain point, they went in, the tumors were no longer growing. That child and that mother would have the child would have had to live with the consequence of HPV, the consequence of an STD. Yeah. Um, that woman has to carry that the rest yeah. of her life, knowing what she's contracted, what she's given to her child. And these sexually transmitted diseases, some are curable if diagnosed, right. some are not. Yeah. And then I've heard, right, like condoms do nothing to prevent the HPV oh, no. spread. And <laughs> one... Um, um, micro molecular biologists put it this way very bluntly and we have to say it because young people don't get this sexual intimacy 
includes a lot of fluids. It is wet. The mm. only area that ends up being impacted is not just where the condom touches, but other areas as well. Mm -hmm. Any skin-to-skin -skin contact, any exchange of fluids will render you at risk. And you yeah. can be a carrier of an STD. You don't have to have it. And, you know, <laughs> Father, I wish we had a visual that we could show people, but... Mm. If the reality is, is that a 25 year old man has had two or three sexual partners, mm -hmm. let's say one's a virgin and let's say the two other have been sexually active mm -hmm. before that already, he's just exposed himself to a minimum of five different people's prior sexually transmitted diseases that they're carrying or right. actually have. This is how risky it is. Yeah. And it can relate, uh, can result in right, cervical cancer for the women. Yeah, cervical cancer. I mean, mm -hmm. now we're seeing rectal and anal cancer issues yeah. and again i don't have the luxury of not being blunt about this you know right, we're having right. to because yeah. of the sexual revolution yeah. we are having to talk about things that just yeah. go so far into violating modesty right. that's what's unfortunate and you have now trends of um being bisexual right you can be mm -hmm. male or female when you took babies out of sex sex no longer had a purpose and it has been reduced. There was a quote I remember by um, Theology of the Body, I'm forgetting his name, uh, Christopher West, mm -hmm. where he said it, it hit me right between the eyes one day when it, essentially he realized you take babies out of sex, the reproductive act out, um, it, sex just becomes about orgasm. And at that yeah. point, any orifice will do. Right. Is this not what we have seen yeah. and what the feminist movement, the radical feminist movement has pushed for? And they were behind. Planned Parenthood was behind marriage between two men and two women. Planned Parenthood wants that because radical feminism wishes to destroy the very institution of marriage. Yeah, yeah. And sadly, you know, I feel like like the church is like the last house on the block, hmm. you know, giving this chastity message that sex is made for marriage. And it's <laughs> like, but it, it blesses the people. And and the other thing too, I've read studies about psychologically for the women, you know, the oxytocin hormone, the yes. bonding hormones released. Right. So every encounter that's released. So they're, and rom-coms, I guess, capture this, but they, they're hurt more in the breakup, you right. know? Yes. And then the sad part, too, is that it's harder for them to bond in the next one. That diminishing yes. capacity of bonding yeah. is even... To the point where you have some women who say, I don't even feel anything anymore when I engage yeah. in sexual intimacy. Yeah. It means nothing to me. Right. And I've heard women outright say, how do I get that back? Because... Uh -huh. Ultimately, the oxytocin that bonds a man mm -hmm. and a woman, the dopamine that gives a sense of pleasure and mm -hmm. high, the serotonin that's released, giving a serenity, these are chemically, mentally, it's like a chemical mm -hmm. cocktail bonding the two people. And that's a great gift because these chemicals also help you and it's almost like putting a pair of sunglasses on that helps you to view your spouse in a better light. <laughs> well, there's a reason that that's needed. Marriage is difficult. <laughs> you as a confessor know yeah, this. Yeah. <laughs> But if you don't have that confine of marriage, yeah. you're bonding with someone who may not be good for you, who right. may be physically harmful, right. emotionally manipulative. In fact, in the crisis pregnancy centers, we would see women who are in abusive relationships who wouldn't leave. Why? Because they had been chemically bonded to someone mm -hmm. and they would make justification, even if they knew their own safety and their child's safety 
was more important. Uh, and I could see on the college campuses, mm-hmm. I could tell you when talking to girls who recently gone through a breakup, who was sexually active and who wasn't based on how they bounce back. Really? Yeah. So like those like three categories we just rattled off, like the, the women have the higher disease rates, you know, they might be left with unwanted pregnancy and the psychological damage that's hurting the women more. Now both are hurt by the sexual revolution, mm-hmm. but I just think it's important to make the point out there that women are being hurt even more because that they're the reason these contraceptions and everything are in abortion is promoted saying this is for the woman's sake, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's hurting the women. I, I was just, I'm sorry. No, you, go I, I was just in the airport and I, I was talking to this guy. He's like in his, mid 60s he's originally from scotland he lives in san diego he's a successful computer guy and and he just dismissed you know the whole pro-life movement as well it's just men having power over women you know it's like men are making these decisions men are the ones making (laughs) these pro-life laws and he kind of kept cutting me off so i don't want to talk about this right now because i know we disagree and but i was just thinking about later i said you know if you go to any pro-life march, or even in Alabama, you know, the recent laws we passed, mm-hmm. it was introduced by a woman, a legislator, I guess, or some yes. woman's one, and then Kay Ivey, a woman governor, signed, signed it. Signed law <laughs> by a woman, and that's not the only place. I think yeah. Iowa was the same case. Yeah. It's female governors who are passing yeah. and signing and approving these laws. And the pro-life movement is like, I gotta be more women in it than men, yes, I think. Yes, so. absolutely, but you know what, I think that we focus a lot of women on women because that's who has been the most hurt. Yeah. However, I think we're at the point in society right now where men are being equally hurt. They too uh-huh. are chemically being bonded to, but you know, I'm sorry to say, I know some people are going to get upset, but male and female brains are different and we mm-hmm. handle things differently. Well, how's one of the ways men are handling the lack of romantic sexual intimacy within marriage, the lack of quality of women, because women call men into their mission. Uh Think about it. Women do, women challenge. The beauty of the woman will show you the beauty and the strength of the men, the character of the men. And so why is it that pornography is so predominant? You can ask a psychologist and he'll be sitting there in the counseling room with a man who's addicted to pornography, Mm -hmm. a man who's in the middle of a same-sex attraction is looking at gay porn and he'll ask him what are you looking at in the moment that you're that you're looking at that pornography the man's looking for intimacy he's looking for love he's looking for affirmation maybe he's looking for power because he's so belittled in this radical nitpicking feminist society yeah that's interesting women call men into their mission like Mm. the family mission of raising kids and everything absolutely you know uh, women often tend to be more attracted to the idea of having children. Right. Sometimes, in fact, GP2 in Love and Responsibility talks about how, in fact, a woman might want a child more than she wants the husband. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's a woman who call the man into his mission, sometimes not even by her words, but by the beauty of who she is. Yeah. He should want to protect her, serve mm-hmm. her. When I talk about protection, I'm not just talking about physical protection. I'm also talking about spiritual moral protection as yeah. well. Yeah. And I think men, you know, part of their charism of gift, you know, is to go, I mean, both are called to tend and cultivate the garden and Eden, you know, but, mm-hmm. but men are gifted to go into that big bad world and civilize right. it. And I, it's a wonderful change 
I see in men when they get married and they have the, you know, they're no longer living for themselves. They, you know, women, it's just written in their very bodies, like the very concrete realities of children and, you know, what's coming. They need to prepare for this. And these are the needs of the kids. And it's like, it's almost like they have to tell the, the, the dad, you know, these things. <laughs> but when the men, they're like awakened and they arise in that responsibility. And I, I always, I say it's like, you know, one day their kid's going to be walking out to the bus stop to catch the bus. And they, what kind of world are they walking out in, in there? You know, mm -hmm. and so it motivates them to just be better and mm -hmm. to do, make the world better. Right. And know? when women are living up to the call of virtue, men don't have to even be told. They will live it. Yeah. You know, these sex differences written into our body. I heard someone recently talk about how all of the, the cells of the woman's body are created for endurance. Uh, think about it, the reality is a woman handles a cold much better than a man yeah. does. I know yeah. you can make a joke about it, but uh, it's true. Yeah. Um, but a man's body is built for power, for yeah. sh with strength. And yeah. you think about it, the testosterone written into all the muscles in the body, it's built to power through yeah. things yeah. intensely. I mean, I think about the testosterone develops the more protruding chin in the man, the more prominent forehead, the narrower uh -huh. hips, the broader yeah. shoulders, so that a man physically can carry that strength and that strength, we can't reduce it from to from men to physical strength. Strength is supposed to be the strength of their character. Yeah, I remember when I was in seminary, they had a professor. He's now a priest, John Sayward. He's English, and he's just the most quiet, meekest guy you can imagine. But I remember he's this great intellectual, and he would go into these. I remember him talking about a conference he was invited to. It was very secular, and he was having to talk about the pro-life issue. But I just was so impressed that he would go into this really hostile environment and just say the church's teaching mm -hmm. in a very intellectual, competent way. And I just thought that, you know, that, you know, that is such a great witness to masculinity to go into the world, you know, and to proclaim the kingdom, you know, mm -hmm. and make it better, you know? Yes. <laughs> And not be afraid and uh, yeah. to be courageous you know yeah. i always say we've got to look i think the problem is even when we're talking about virtue for women but virtue for men too we as a whole we hear okay the virtue of temperance but to be honest like what is temperance what is mm. gentleness is it being you know a pushover and to just yeah. be a mat walkover but the virtue of courage Courage isn't saying that the fear is gone and you're boldly acting courage is to act in the face of fear yeah, yeah. I'm reminded, you know, like the sisters and Mother Angelica. Mother Angelica is our foundress. And I remember talking to one of the older sisters one time about Mother. And I was asking her, like, what was the most kind of striking thing about her? And she said it was her courage. You know, <laughs> I was expecting paralyzed faith, right. whatever, whatever. <laughs> but just, you know, to build EWTN and and to have a lot of opposition to it and to keep to her message, the gospel message, that much challenges. There's a, I just, I've seen that in sisters. It's like, and I, I look at mother, like, you know, like this personal love for Jesus, her spouse, mm. and she is going to serve him. And it doesn't matter what people are saying. It doesn't matter the craziness that's going on around you. It, it doesn't matter even how well she's going to do it. She's mm. just going to give everything she has to this. And there's something about the simplicity I think that shines out in the courage of a woman that it's like, it's just very direct relational. 
like mama bear or something protecting your cubs. You know, it's like, right. I am, and I, I think, you know, because I, I think the world is saying, well, Christianity is keeping women down, but it's like, it's like promoting a marriage culture and these virtues we're talking about, that's like the fullness of a woman's gift flourishing, mm -hmm. you know? I'm reading, it's in my room where I'm staying here at EWTN, one of the books um, that Raymond Arroyo put together on Mother Angelica's scripture teachings. And as I'm reading it, the words jump off the page. And, you know, I'm a little shocked sometimes. She's so blunt. She's so bold and not to the point of like hateful, but if someone didn't really kind of pause to ponder it, they could look at it. She's just kind of clawing at your mm -hmm. skin, trying to get you to see scripture and right. to see you yourself and your life for what it is. But that boldness says so much. Her intensity of boldness is to the level that is necessary in the culture. And as yeah. you were just speaking, it reminded yeah. me of the document i think it's an encyclical it's called cassie canubi and i'm terrible with memory mm -hmm. and, and i think it's pope pius the 12th who wrote it back in the 1930s mm -hmm. and it was written right as some of the the uh, anglican church essentially ends up accepting contraception right. and in that it's a beautiful teaching to marriage and it talks about how woman the woman is the heart of the home and mm -hmm. the husband is the head of the home right. and when the heart leaves the home, there's so much damage that can be done. But also when the head leaves the home, the heart has to step up. And yeah. I think that part of the sexual revolution, not just within marriage, but overall, the head men in mm. their strength and leadership of character. I'm not just talking about physically or standing mm. at the front of the pack and leadership. Men have abandoned moral character and strength and leadership by how they live their lives and so people like mother angelica have had to step forward to the forefront yeah. and be really bold out of necessity right. at times right and i think this touches on another issue some women are resenting the level of boldness and the level of um expectation placed on them to live out yeah. virtue yeah. because the men aren't there with them yeah yeah and mother would say that that's that god asked other people to start this network <laughs> and he's looked at the bottom of the barrel she would say and pulled out these group of 12 nuns you know <laughs> started either she had a 200 bucks in the bank but um now the one more thing about the beauty issue that because yeah and women you see this drive they want to be beautiful they feel this call and but you're saying they should focus on the interior beauty first right Interior and, beauty is what shows real beauty. And how do you describe that interior beauty? I, you know, I think that we could start with pondering. For women, we have a constant interior dialogue going on in our minds. Very different from men. Men can kind of just think about one thing or almost think about nothing. That's how small the number of things that he thinks about at once can mm -hmm. orient toward. And that's a gift of masculinity. We can could just get say into one that. thing about yeah. that? Because I, I saw yes. a famous YouTube video that the Protestant minister talking about the nothing box. That oh, I've not seen it. Tell me. Yeah. Well, he, he's, he had these, he had like this massive copper wire that was, that's been stripped. You know, you just have, <laughs> and he said, this is the women's brain. Everything's connected <laughs> and everything matters, you know? And for men, he had like these concentric boxes. And in one, this middle <laughs> box, I don't know, he had like this nothing box where they could literally just sit and think of nothing and just sit there and like they're fishing and they're watching Sunday. <laughs> But I, I think, this is my theory too, that I think part of that is part of the creative process 
it's almost like, you know, people, you know, when things strike us, like you're getting on a, I heard some famous mathematician was getting on a bus and this theorem hit him, you know, mm -hmm. and it was like this, this big deal, you know. <laughs> but there's something about creativity, I think you kind of enter into, you can let things come to you that helps men be productive. It's but, so profound. I mean, yeah. on one side, you could say it's what allows a man to be at work and not be overly concerned or like fearful about what's happening at home with his family because he yeah. recognizes I have to provide. But on another end, I was in the car with my husband. We had like an hour and a half drive. And at one point I asked him, what are you thinking about? And I think he was talking about, ironically, thinking about um, beauty and oh. as being a married man now, what beauty was to him. Half an hour later, I asked him again, what are you thinking about? Because it's really quiet. <laughs> He's thinking about the same thing. And I'm going, good Lord. I mean, I might have somehow jumped to something somewhat related that I might tie back, but I uh, would never be thinking yeah, about the same yeah. thing for so long. Uh, but back Specialization. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but back to kind of how women are kind of engaging in this interior dialogue, mm. this interior dialogue is meant to produce fruit. It can either produce wreck or that resentment mm. within us. It can create um, obsessiveness about our own looks. It can create an obsessiveness about how we could have said something differently in a conversation. But ultimately, it should bear fruit. It should enter into action and dialogue or contemplation of God. What's on the inside needs to be transformed in order for the outside to be transformed. Because the reality is, and I just asked a group of teenage boys this, I said, have you ever met a woman who is drop dead gorgeous? And you can mm -hmm. imagine the raging hormones in the room. Mm -hmm. in the room. Oh yeah, and yeah, they yeah. start telling me their yeah. stories. And I said, but hold on, have you ever met a woman who is drop dead gorgeous, but hideous on the inside? And their response became more vehement and mm. more loud, yes, yeah. to the point where they want to avoid her. Yeah. It doesn't matter how beautiful we are exteriorly, if the interior development is not transformed to something that is good and true and rightly ordered, you could be the most beautiful woman in the world. I mean, look yeah. at Hollywood and the gorgeous women yeah. that are there, but be living a really ugly life that in fact is making us miserable. Right. And the reality is, is that when there's beauty on the inside, that comes out in terms of how we look, how we interact, how we yeah. carry ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, that, that virtuous life, the life of faith, prayer, yeah, it just it makes a woman, yeah, beautiful, even though, they, you know, just their responses and laughter and joy, you know, women can communicate that, you know, just, just their expressions are much richer than men and they can just light up a room. Right. And it's such a, a gift. But yeah. they can also be much uglier than men. Yeah. And you, we've all seen it, that jealous glance, that yeah. critical look up and down. I right. mean, women have this great ability to build up and compliment. In fact, many men look for that compliment and affirmation from women. Yeah. Um, but actually, this is one of our greatest downfalls to uh -huh. become clickish to become exclusive right, right, and to right. gossip where we push people away and yeah. if you think about it growing up who made you feel the most welcome yeah the mother when right, you'd be invited right. to someone's house yeah she'd make sure that everyone was included yeah yeah i, I realized that when my grandparents died my grandmothers was like they were the center they brought the family together they they were from the greatest generation you know so they made the big meal had the nice home had the hospitality mm -hmm. and we weren't getting together, you know, if they weren't doing it, you know, right. and uh, that's a great gift. All right, let's, uh, we're talking forever, but let's also jump to <laughs> how, I know you've, you've spoken a lot on your show about homosexuality. It is, 
it is just like in every movie show in just unrelated ways and what do you tell a young person because i just actually saw a poll in usa today that said that young adults were less uh, less positive about like somebody coming out into their families and stuff um they saw the difficulties of it more Interesting. So young adults yeah. today, if someone came out, there was less positivity than there then, then like been. 10 years ago or something. Interesting. So yeah. they're less encouraging to right. it. That's what you're saying. Right. Wow. I had not seen that study yeah. yet. You know, here's what I can say. Um, being on college campuses and working with young adults over the last few years, three years ago, if I were to give a presentation talking about gender ideology and homosexuality, there were hard walls up. Today, this last year, they're looking for truth and for an answer to this issue that is absolutely confusing. Yeah. And so I think that they're at a point where it's gone so far and so confusing, and in fact, it's become so sexualized yeah. that they're trying to see some reason in the answer to the crisis. And I think that this is where, if we present natural law, we can enter into the theology and help answer the question as the church. Right, right. And how do you, like when you're talking to young people and you're trying to present either natural or church teaching, what do you tell them? Why is homosexuality to act on it wrong? Right. You know, I think it starts by most of the time this is one-on-one -on -one conversations. If I'm presenting in a group setting and giving a talk on this, um, I start by asking the question, who are you? Mm -hmm. Because the basis of this question is not understanding who someone else is, but understanding who I am, who the human person is. And recognizing, coming back to that identity, first and foremost, you are unconditionally loved. We were not loved unconditionally by our parents. Mm -hmm. Our parents are just, if they loved us well, are just a glimmer, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a foretaste of the unconditional love of our parents. These people who are developing homosexual, homosexual tendencies and are living wow. homosexual lifestyles, these people are people just like you and I who have experienced often, I know it's unpopular to say, yeah. great trauma in their lives, right. even if it's just the fact that they do not feel loved adequately. Yeah. And so starting with that as our basis point, we also have to then talk about the fact that the human person was made with intellect and free will. I don't have to say that God created us that way. I can say, think about it. If we didn't have intellect and free will, we wouldn't have brains that can come to know something and we wouldn't mm. be able to just choose whatever we want to do, right? Yeah. And most people can agree with that. Well, if we were made with intellect and free will, that's part of our purpose. Right. Now we know that God made us in his image and likeness and God is love. If mm. God is love and we're made in his image and likeness, we too are made for what? Mm. For love. Mm. And so that intellect and free will ultimately orders us to love, yeah. to relationship. Well, this is written into our bodies as male and female. The sexual yeah. act is a sign, right, mm. of total life-giving, self-giving love. The sacrifice on the crucifix is the ultimate sign of life-giving, mm. self-giving love. Both of these, whether marriage or Christ on the cross, had to be lived out freely. Right. So if we really believe that free will is a part of the human person, then we understand that no one is born gay because mm -hmm. we are free to act of our own volition. Mm -hmm. And even if 
and again, I could get into the scientific studies and the research and the mm -hmm. bad research and the good research about the whole born gay theory. It's not been proven. Mm -hmm. Even the people who have tried to prove this back in the 90s, years later, have come out saying, yeah, that's false. Yeah. You know, the research wasn't conclusive enough. Um, I could yeah. get into that research, but ultimately we see that there's no real tendency, there's no development of right. being born gay. Yeah. There might be a, a slight, let's say, predisposition that might be present, but you are free to choose yeah. how you live your life. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's, I know the catechism talks about it being like maybe like mysterious origins and Certainly, people just experience that. So I, I think I think that's the argument kind of out of here. Well, this is what I feel, and origins or church, I guess, doesn't definitively say you know psychological causes. But um, they say since I feel this way, I've got a right to act on it. You know, right. <laughs> and it's like I'm like thinking there's all kinds of stuff that I can act on. Um, you know, that I feel, you know, it's yeah, called, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make it right. You I know, feel. Father, I think that what's really helpful is the church has said, you know, we cannot absolutely like decide or just say, well, you were just sexually abused or this is just your problem. Right. That being said, the people themselves are speaking to this. And so yeah. we can speak into their stories. And the reality yeah. is, is that I know many psychologists, for example, who are addressing and actually really working with men who are experiencing severe same-sex attraction and yeah. and them seeking out therapy psychologists are able to see some yeah. common things that come up for example sexual molestation and abuse in mm -hmm. their childhood um, also they're saying that OCD is actually something that's predominantly seen in people who experience same-sex attraction uh, as well as sexual addictions mm -hmm. and so what we're seeing is often when we start to try and heal the wounds of disorder behaviors of a sexual addiction, mm -hmm. disorder behaviors of OCD to the point mm -hmm. of scrupulosity, we could say, right? Yeah. Um, and other issues such as the issue of molestation, when yeah. those begin to be healed, you yeah. know what some of the byproduct has been for yeah. the men and women leaving that movement? Yeah. Their same-sex attraction dissipates. Their right. freedom and their action increases. And what I heard this said recently, we have to stop... Um, I say this, we have to stop reducing ourselves to our body parts in yeah. terms of, you know, you see a Hollywood and every show, as you said, father is showing a gay character. And it's really sad because they're defining it as that character always has conversations having to do with their sexual exploits. They're not treated as all the other, other characters. Mm. They're treated with regard to their attraction. But in reality, what we need to understand is that we need to stop trying to fulfill our unmet emotional needs with sexual interaction. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that's part of what it comes down to. Yeah. Our brokenness, our emotions, our, the wounds that we have cannot be um, sought after and answer can't be looked for in sexual intimacy, whether yeah. you're heterosexual or homosexual. Yeah. I think, I think as the courage movement has said, I don't want to misquote him, but just that you don't, I know Father John Harvey was, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he was big on saying, you know, the, speak of the same sex attracted person. You don't say the gay uh, person or something exactly. that just reduce them to that identity. Yes, that's yeah. the problem. Like you have this sexual inclination, but there's a lot more to you to say about it. And this yeah. isn't the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And that's what I feel like, like the pride movement and everything is just mm -hmm. emphasizing this. 
and losing the sight of child the of God. And I, and I, I think that approach you, you make at saying, yeah, we're made in the image and likeness of God, we're loved by God, we're not condemned to a life of this terrible solitude if we can't get married for whatever reason, you know. Uh, we have this ultimate relationship with God right. that is fulfilling. But right. not to say it's not a trial or a cross, but I could see like the secular world, if this is all you got, you know, mm -hmm. this is your only hope at right. a fulfilling relationship. Um, you know, I, I see they, why they put, at some degree, you know, why they put that emphasis, but it's it just so, I guess it, it, it just irritates me to see some voices in the church falling prey to this. Oh, absolutely. You know, you know, we have to come back. I love that you emphasize that because it, I have the opportunity to help in media training sometimes. I'm sure you've uh, been involved in media training as well, being yeah. in the media. And I always say we have to talk about persons with same-sex attraction because right. gay is a lifestyle. It's not an identity. Yeah. And there are a lot of people, faithful Catholics, living out the virtue of chastity who are experiencing same-sex attraction, some of yeah. whom will never speak up and we will never know. But I know both yeah. you and I in our apostolates have seen people who are living incredibly virtuous lives and they are struggling through the mm. cross of same-sex attraction. Right. And I pray for these people, you know, and it is an injustice to those people to say, God made you that way. God yeah, made you yeah. gay. That's not true. That's like saying that God loves you for being gay. That's like a wife saying she loves her husband for his pornography addiction. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, I guess the phrase I was thinking, yeah, same sex attracted person. That, right. Yeah, you know, Harvey would, would maintain you're a person. You know, right. always that's your identity. Yeah. But, um, and you have intrinsic value as such, yeah. just like women who are being broken by the sexual revolution. Right. And you know the ideas at the time, your identity is rooted in being unconditionally loved. Yeah. Now, gender ideology, telling a young person that they can choose <laughs> their sex, focus on the family, one of their speakers said it, I, I thought just captured it, and they said, said, let, you know, let my child choose their, their, their gender. I won't even let them choose the breakfast cereal. They're going to eat the morning. <laughs> oh, I thought that is, that's perfect. You know? <laughs> You're going to give hormones and all this irreputable you know, stuff you can't change because of a, a person, a young person struggling with these yeah. issues. Yeah. It just seems insane. It, it is heartbreaking that we are doing science experiments right now with children based on a political ideology. There's yeah. a reason that we are seeing pediatricians coming out calling this child abuse, because it is. We're taking this trans argument that the culture is battling over and forcing it on young children. I and mean, to this point, on one side, the children who are being allowed to transition or pressured to transition early, you know, National Geographic had that eight-year-old boy on its front cover a few years mm. ago with pink hair, sitting in a very provocative way that's inappropriate for an eight-year-old dressed yeah. in girls' clothes. How dare those parents, and here's reality, how dare them allow him to begin to go through a sex change? You are giving that child puberty-blocking hormones that are going to create permanent damage, rendering that child infertile yeah. and doing damage that's irreversible. And no one thinks about this. Think about it from a plastic surgeon's perspective. The skin has to be manipulated in order to achieve a sex change. Mm -hmm. That skin is limited. It's yeah. causing stretching and damage to parts of the body that should not be done. Yeah. And the same is being done if you want to 
revert back to your original sexual right. identity, but there's ir irreversible damage yeah. being done to these children. Yeah. And what I've seen like in articles and stuff, they talk about it, it doesn't fix the problem because they still, mm -hmm. they're still struggling with their identity. They don't right. feel fully a woman. They're not right. fully accepted as a woman. They never right. feel like they're an actual woman then. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so some of the argument that I've heard, heard the trans movement make is that, well, even if I, and they'll say, I know that I'm not a woman. I, yeah. I don't render up to another woman. Yeah. However, I still want the freedom. So some of the arguments within the LGBTQ movement mm -hmm. are the same as the abortion movement, the freedom to choose, the yeah. freedom of self-determination. This is where a wrong idea of freedom has yeah. taken us. Yeah. And you, you've seen a change in younger audiences as you mm -hmm. talk to them? About? I see the current young adult audience, college audience, are more open to this issue. Mm. I think they're more susceptible to it. They're more open to it, though, because they're being brainwashed. I, mean, I can't tell you how many people who write into me for my show Trending saying, thank you for talking about gender because it is so difficult. The All of our courses, whether it's history or sociology, yeah. are talking yeah. about this radical gender ideology, and they're giving one side to it in bad studies. Right. And so um, there's a lot of receptivity to hear another idea. Here's the problem, though, is the push for it is with kindergartners. They're mm -hmm. being encouraged to color in coloring books. And that 10 year old girl in London, the same story could be said of California mm -hmm. today, was uh, suspended from school for a week. I think her yeah. name's Casey because yeah. she spoke up against the radical uh, intrusion into her childhood of having to color yeah. LGBTQ coloring book images in mm -hmm. class. She was suspended for it. And now the teachers are lying, trying to say that people with same-sex attraction should be killed. She said, back in my home country, I think she's from Nigeria or somewhere like that, she said, someone like this could be killed, could be punished. Mm. You know, this isn't this doesn't fly where I'm from. Right, and the right. teachers are trying to say she said other things. Yeah. Uh, I think if we allow this to go on, if we are silent, we are going to have this current generation of children, because it's children right now, uh -huh. who are struggling with their sexual identity. Yeah. We just had news from Canada that I think a six-year-old has been forced into transgender education in the classroom. The teacher has been saying in Canada that you're not a boy or a girl. There's no such thing as male and female. Right. This girl keeps coming into her parents saying, Mommy, am I a girl? Am I a girl? Because mm -hmm. she's so confused. Casey in London said it clearly. They're forcing such an intense transgender identity upon us that confusion that never existed before is now taking place. People yeah. were certain before, now people are uncertain. That's a good point. Yeah, when you present it as being up for grabs, that itself is confusing. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was talking to a, a father, his number, father of a number of kids here. He's trying to raise his kids you know, devoutly in the church. And, and they were at some kind of place, a vacation spot. And uh, these guys came in and we just were very flamboyant and acting very, um, I don't want to stereotype, but <laughs> you know, like right. in a gay, stereotypical gay way. And, uh, and, the, and the boy didn't understand. He just said, Dad, what's wrong with those guys? Mm -hmm. you know? and, uh, and I was just so struck by that because it's disorienting to see yeah. the categories and behaviors overturned. And yeah, there is, you know, in our culture, 
there is a way for men to behave. And some of it is purely cultural. But there's a healthiness to it to say, hey, you're a man. And yeah, we have these cultural things you do. Hopefully they're good. <laughs> Mostly they're good, you know. But this is solidifies your identity. This bonds you to other men. Mm -hmm. This helps you to feel like you're a man. Right. You know, and it, it gives you... And, and granted, you know, that might need to be purified by the gospel, you know, and, and all that right. kind of stuff. But there's something good there that I think especially with men. Actually, I heard a Protestant minister say on the radio, he was giving this talk on masculinity. And I remember he just came up and said, and he said in this very kind of throaty way, he goes, be a man. You know, and it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like our culture presents certain ways that are good, you know. And, and yeah, you have to grow into it. You have to do it men have to kind of achieve a masculinity yes you know it's not just something right. that i think women is kind of more given in their bodies and everything you just hit yeah. on a really important yeah. point father mark because that is actually what every society has shown us that masculinity yeah. is something to achieve think about it yeah in almost every culture there has been some form of coming into your manhood. Yeah. You now no longer stay back with the women and children. You now go out on your first yeah. hunt and hunt yeah. with the men. You now have your bar mitzvah. You have your coming out into society as male or at times as female mm -hmm. in some cultures. And you know this idea is rooted into our very upbringing the yeah. woman has the child and rears the child mm -hmm. but at a certain point and a lot of psychologists have been very clear on this mm -hmm. for developing the masculine identity and really solidifying you in your heterosexuality that yeah. at a certain point the boy has to separate from the mother yeah. because he's already understood what is female he will never understand what is male if there is not some separation at some point and the mother's got to let go of them <laughs> and that's the that's problem hard. psychologists are having <laughs> and i think there's father or not father but joseph nicolosi yes this whole reparative therapy yes right? And, you know, it's interesting because Dr. Joseph Nicolosi's um, books have recently been banned and removed from Amazon. Yeah. Uh, and I have some of his colleagues and people he worked with come on our radio show Trending. And it's fascinating to hear this about masculinity. It's an achievement. It's yeah. something that has to be affirmed. It has yeah. to be developed. It has to be complemented. And if that's not taking place, any child's identity is going to be damaged. Yeah. And that's why we're seeing six-year-olds questioning this. Yeah. Yeah, like, I know Dr. Meg Meeker's done a lot of work, too, just on the father's influence on the women, you know, and, and their role in helping them find their identity and all this, all the issues there. But, like, the men, yeah, they, the boy has to separate from the mother and say, the guy on the couch over there, I'm, I'm like him, you know, I'm not like, I'm different <laughs> than mom, and I got to, bond with him and it's like that masculinity can only happen with that relationship between the men and mm -hmm. i see it in my life you know even i've got older like lay men friends that mm -hmm. i i need to talk things through with them i need to hear from them and and i tell a story even like in, in answering the call to the priesthood my father had passed away like a number of years before when i was in early years of college but I needed to hear from my grandfather. I didn't even know it, but I, when I heard him say it, I realized I needed it, that I need to hear from him to say, "Hey, this is a good life. Mm. You know, yeah. this is a worthy thing to do with your life." And and I just needed to hear that. And it just 
I remember we were sitting, we were, he's, my family's from New Orleans, and we're sitting at the table with a bunch of crab shells and crawfish <laughs> and uh, some kind of can of beer. Every <laughs> but I was at seminary and my grandfather asked me, he said, how's it going? And, uh, and I, I said, I don't know, you know, and it was like, we weren't directly talking, but he knew what I was talking about. I was struggling yeah. in seminary. And he said, he said, don't, he always said this, don't start that static. He said, it's a good life, you know, and he took a swig of his beer, <laughs> but I just so needed to hear that. That simple statement yeah. of affirmation yeah. from a yeah. male mentor. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I try to tell older men that you have such a powerful role. There's something mm -hmm. about the man's presence in situations that is, I know men have no confidence in it because I think, you know, we feel like we got to fix it. We got to help them. We got to have all the answers. And then we list, we miss that kind of just being present. Mm -hmm. And then God inspires you, I think. And you know a lot more than what you think, you know, that could be helpful yeah. to this younger guy. And, and things as simple as like you're saying, being present together, going fishing, playing uh -huh. a game of basketball. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> men are in so many ways, like there's such a gift to masculinity that that friendship and that affirmation is so much more simple yeah. than we make it out to be. Yeah. And Dr. Joseph Nicolosi talks a lot about this, how most yeah. boys realize that their same-sex attraction, and they themselves will say this, they're looking for male affirmation or male unconditional love. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the sex they're looking for, right. it's the friendship. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's a message to men, to be friends, to be a mentor, just like motherhood is a spiritual motherhood as well. Fatherhood is a spiritual fatherhood that must be lived out if the culture is going to survive. Yeah. You need the engine firing on all cylinders. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, and one thing, I'll just say it's kind of a downer, but it's like, I remember Doug Berry, who co-hosted on Life on the Rock for some years, and he'd always say this, like, like kind of the radical gay movement was trying to lower the age of consent. Yes. And I always kind of will say no. I would say even the most liberal people out there, they want to protect kids and all this kind of stuff. But you know when it hit me, when there's this gender ideology thing, when you're saying that the child can essentially, young, 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 young adult, make decisions that the hormone blocking all kinds of will have these permanent effects, mm -hmm. Why won't you say they can decide if they want to have sex? Right. If they can do this radical thing about harming their bodies, why won't you allow them to say, hey, I want, right. I'm ready for sex? And, yeah. I'm sorry, but I, I don't know. I think that it's helpful to defer to the neuroscientists in this moment who yeah. say the prefrontal cortex and the ability to reason isn't fully yeah. developed until you're 25. And predominantly for men, adolescence uh -huh. has a strong tendency toward reckless behavior. Yeah. So why on earth would we be encouraging a minor who's struggling in their identity to some sense to encourage them into the gay community that has a higher risk in sexually transmitted diseases because I'm sorry, it does not fit that way. And so yeah. you're more susceptible yeah. to physical damage. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, predominantly in the gay community, I don't care what you say, talk to the community itself. Man love with boy love is a thing that is so predominant. And I'm sorry to be blunt, but I have to be mm. honest here for a second. People are upset over the sex abuse scandal within the church. Mm. Four out of five of the children that were abused 
were boys mm -hmm. and they were abused and these boys were actually of puberty years yeah they, they yeah. were pubescent boys yeah. and so that points to it's not a child abuse problem it's a homosexual problem mm -hmm. that's not just prevalent in the church and yet we're encouraging in the secular schools kids who struggle with identity to go into that culture well that's the culture you're pointing toward right right well, I want to end on a positive note, and I, <laughs> I think you, you speak very eloquently about the love that God has for each one of us, no matter what our difficulties, attractions, or whatever. Tell us that message one more yeah. time. I think, that, I think this is where God was so providential in sending us a saint so quickly in St. John Paul the Great, uh -huh. because his teaching in Theology of the Body is this great anthropological, theological, scriptural study. And at the heart of it, he points to the fact that if we look back, the male and the female body are created for one another. This physical reality, like a key in a lock, points to a more spiritual reality. I am made to be a gift. And so if we look to the cross, if we look at what the crucifix shows, it shows intellect and free will lived out in an act of love and what is love what is life-giving self-giving love it's the cross and i'm sorry but if any of us think we can avoid it the reality is, is that that act of love was bloody it was bruised and it was beaten mm -hmm. and whether it's the church and what it's going through right mm -hmm. now us in our own lives the crisis of the culture if we do not choose to live that physical sign of the cross written over our body every single day when before and after we pray we will forget the purpose of our life the purpose of our life on the cross is that total life-giving self-giving love and i think of saint edith stein who also lived the time of world war ii and she lived by the science of the cross Mm -hmm. And if we can take that science of the cross, that we're made to be a sacrifice, we're made to be a gift, yeah. that will transform and help us to develop and seek out the virtues that we need to build up a culture for femininity and masculinity. Yeah. And the good news is that we're called to love that way, and we are loved that way by God himself and yeah. Jesus. Amen. Right? So. Well, thanks so much for talking with us, and uh, this has been great. Thank you for having me, Father Mark. Yeah.